Hey, it's Monique. Welcome back to the podcast or welcome if this is your first time listening. This is the Brown Vegan Podcast, episode 128. And with this show, I love to present veganism from a practical perspective to help everyday people go vegan in a way that feels good to them. And I also love to explore topics such as overall wellness and vegan entrepreneurship because this lifestyle is so much more than food. It's truly a way of life. It's a lifestyle, right? <laughs> so you can find out more about what I do and how I do it at brownvegan.com. And also don't forget to come hang out with me on Instagram. I'm at brownvegan over there. So yes, I hope you're having a great week. I am so thankful because the weather I feel like is getting so nice. So I'll be back at the river soon. I'll be back doing my jogs. I'm just so excited about just warmer weather. <laughs> That's what I've been looking forward to for March. And I feel like a lot of that cold and snow that we've been getting here, at least in like the D.C. area, is going to finally be gone. So anyway, that's what I'm looking forward to. Happy March to you. I hope you're feeling well. I hope everything is going well for you. And if not, I know that it will get better for you very soon. So today on the show, I have another conversation for you. I have EA on here. She is a vegan social justice educator, speaker, and content creator. And I feel like she dropped so many amazing gems in this conversation. Just such a rich conversation. It's funny because when we did our pre-interview, I was just thinking to myself, I'm just going to just let her just do all of the talking. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. And so I know that you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did. We chat about how she started her vegan journey, why Black representation is so important in the vegan movement, the importance of also researching and figuring out your form of activism, her work in anti-oppression. We talk about food justice issues. And also at the end of the conversation, EA shares some practical tips on how to start your own vegan journey. Go follow EA on Instagram. Her Instagram is EA loves life. It's I-Y-E loves life. And of course, all of the show notes and everything we mentioned in this conversation can be found at brownvegan.com under episode 128. So yes, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into the conversation with EA. So a little, almost four years ago, I watched a documentary called Forks Over Knives. And it really caught my attention because at that time, my dad had been going through some very serious cancer treatment, which he still is in cancer treatment today. But that was the first time my family like really got the diagnosis and knew that he had a very serious health condition. And in that documentary, they basically make the connection for us about the diet that we eat and the ability to eat certain foods that can reduce your chances of developing chronic diseases. Or if you already have them, we can eat certain foods to help reduce the the strength or reduce how significant those diseases are. And I'd always kind of thought in the back of my mind, you know, with my dad, you know, being in very serious cancer treatment, that cancer, you know, ran in my family, that it was more than likely inevitable that I may or may not contract it one day. But I decided that this was an opportunity to take control of my health. And I went whole food plant-based for the most part, not 100%, after watching that documentary, I wasn't 100% convinced on the ethical aspects because I hadn't heard that much about veganism at that point. But after like a couple of weeks, I just felt amazing. Like they say there's this link between your gut microbiome and your mood and your energy. So I was feeling more energetic and like a weight was lifted off of me. So I was like, well, I can maintain this lifestyle because I feel amazing. 
And I debunked the myth for myself that you have to eat meat or any substances derived from animals to be healthy. So I wanted to know more about the ethical reasons. And I turned to YouTube, as many of us do. And I looked up, like, why are people vegan? And I found a video by Erin Janus called Dairy is Scary, where she talks about the ethical implications of the dairy industry. And it's a very brash video. So if someone's going to look it up, just be prepared that there is like a lot of cursing and a lot of jarring images in it. I like to prepare people for that because it did shock me, but it shocked me and it made me change immediately. So after watching that video, I decided to give up dairy and I continued to do research. I looked up, you know, backyard hens and if it's ethical or not. And I watched a lot of videos by Bite Size Vegan on on YouTube. And I continue to do my own research. And like many of us vegans do, like watch all the documentaries, like com- become like complete in- information consumers. So yeah, after I got all the facts straight, it was just vegan from there on forward. Did you expect to find all of that out as far as on the ethics side? Because a lot of times I know when people come across certain documentaries that don't talk about veganism for, you know, the environment, for animals, for humans, we don't talk about, they don't know that going into it. They just know about the health part. I just, I guess I'm trying to figure out how you even came across that. I know you said you searched why do people become vegan and you just happened to hit that video. Did you understand kind of some parts of the ethics before you came across that video? From watching Forks Over Knives, I believe a seed was planted, which it's funny because like going back, one of my friends told me there was like a very heavy anti-dairy part of that documentary. And I'm like, when I was not vegan, I did not notice that at all. Like the ethics side, whenever it was mentioned, like it just went straight over my head. And I think that's because a lot of us have speciesism ingrained in us. So it was like, that was a minor thing. It wasn't like the most important part of the documentary. But then, you know, I think that it was a spiritual connection that I made that not eating other animals kind of made me feel like a freer human being. Like it made me actually feel like not contributing as much harm into the planet and not harming other animals. It made a spiritual impact on me. And I'm, I do come from a religious background already. Christian. So I, I do believe in, you know, having faith and, and things of that nature. So I think that just spiritually and mentally, the, the shift spoke to me that I needed to find out why are we doing this to animals? If we can be healthy and vibrant, why are we harming other animals? And that's what caused me to look it up. That makes a lot of sense. Because I was just wondering, you're absolutely right when you were talking about the forks over knives part, because I don't remember, this was, I watched that years ago. I think I was already vegan at that point, and I don't think I would have noticed any of that either. That whole anti-dairy section, like you said, I wouldn't have noticed it either. That's why I was like wondering, how did you come across the ethics of it? Because usually, you know, people become vegan for different reasons, and health is usually the biggest one. But when you came across that, I was just like, hmm, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder what made you look at that video. So yeah. Definitely, yeah. The next thing I wanted to kind of talk about is the fact that I know. When we did like our pre-interview, you mentioned how a lot of times people think that veganism isn't relatable to them because they think that veganism is just something that white people do. Black people aren't vegan. And so can you talk about like, I don't even know exactly how I want to position this, but I just kind of want to give you the floor because I love what you said during the pre-interview about how 
you know, we've been doing this for thousands of years, you know? So yeah, talk about some of those things as far as why veganism is something that that we should all be doing as Black folks. Yeah, well, I can approach it from the standpoint of, I'm originally from Nigeria. That's where I was born. I moved to the United States when I was two years old. And back home, even though I didn't live there for very long, but my parents have told me many stories about growing up there. And my dad said the first time that he ate any type of animal was when he was 12 years old. But the reasoning for it is that it's just about living to survive, like eating to survive and not about like taste or, you know, how to get enough protein or anything like that. They're eating out of necessity. And he was saying that when they did, you know, slaughter the local chickens and and animals that they have that they raise, it's either a big, huge once a year celebration, or they're taking it to market to be slaughtered as a way as means of living, like to, to sell it to make a living. But the traditional foods that my dad grew up eating were corn, grains, beans, you know, fruits and vegetables. And those are typically the most healthy foods for us. And they don't even think about it twice, you know, in the, in the small towns where my parents grew up. And that's the way that a lot of Africans have lived for thousands of years, because, you know, majority of Africa is a tropical climate, you know, the equator runs through it. So you're in the breadbasket of the world with all sorts of, you know, readily available produce. And we don't really consider eating those types of food, you know, vegan or anything like that. It's just the way of living over there. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in other parts of the world, like Asia, for example, Buddhism is a huge part of the culture. It's a philosophy in many countries in Asia. For example, in India, they've been eating plant-based foods for thousands of years because, you know, it's part of their doctrine not to harm other other beings, which is a vegan doctrine as well. So in 1944, Donald Watson coined the word vegan, and it was about, you know, reducing our harm as much as possible and practical to other living beings. But, you know, this is a practice native to indigenous people all around the world for a very long time. And just because a white man coined a term doesn't mean that the philosophy hasn't existed for a long time. Yep, absolutely. And I think that's so important. I'm so glad that you're saying all of this because I know for myself, I didn't think that I would ever be a vegan because it didn't necessarily relate to me. You know, years ago, I grew up near PETA. So I, I always knew what a vegan was from that. And nothing about that resonated with me. The way the people who were a part of that, you know, a lot of them seemed really aggressive. That whole movement, because like I said, I live near there. I would see so much nonsense from Peter that mm. I never felt like it it related to me. I never felt like any of this was me. So I think it's so important to have these conversations about the fact that veganism is not a one size fits all. It looks so different for us. And to see us as a being a part of this movement is just so important because I know it inspired me to become a vegan when I read Sister Vegan way back. Mm-hmm. It made me want to be vegan because I was like, oh, okay, Black people are vegan. Let me, let me yeah. try <laughs> That representation is everything. So, so let's talk about some of your work because you do incredible work. I, like I told you before, Andrea, shamelessly fabulous, told me about you. And I love looking at everything on your, your page and you just have so much great work going on. So Let's talk about what it is that that you do. Like, what do you do? What is your goal? What is your mission 
to help other people go vegan and just anything you want to talk about, because I just love your views on everything. So just kind of, I just want to give you the floor and just let you share that. Thank you so much. Well, I started my account, EA Loves Life on Instagram. Initially, it was called EA's Fit Life because when I started my vegan journey, it was actually for health reasons and I was plant-based. So I was just tracking what I was eating and how I was transitioning to eating more and more plant-based. And then I just discovered that there's a huge audience out there of people who, you know, are vegan curious or veg curious and who want to make this transition. And I wanted to make the information available. I went to a conference in Cleveland called Cleveland Veg Fest, where I heard a speaker, his name is Philip Wool, and he's originally from Australia. He gave this speech about why we should leave animals off our plates. And he showed this, you know, graphic footage of Australia and how they like massacred millions upon millions of kangaroos. And it really broke my heart. And I thought of, you know, the fact that I just can't keep this, you know, vegan information to myself. And he even mentioned that, you know, going vegan is addition. You're adding one person at a time, but becoming an activist is multiplication. So if we want to create a vegan world per se, we have to multiply this movement and we have to become activists. So from that day forward, I was really inspired to, you know, transition my account from just a personal, you know, documentary of my transition to broadening my message to talking about animal rights. And I did that in the format of sharing quotes, sharing my experiences going to activism events, and also just talking to people, you know, forming relationships using social media as a social platform. And I got a lot of people who said that they were interested in either going vegan or making the transition to going vegan. But then I very quickly noticed as I was going to activism events, I did, you know, protests. I did Cube of Truth with Anonymous for the Voiceless, which we, we could talk about later. It's a long story. And I just noticed that these activist spaces were very, very white. And I was the only brown person. Like here or there, there would be one of my Indian friends. But overall, I was the only black person. And I really wanted to know why there wasn't more of us in this movement. But it became very apparent that, especially in the online spaces, there is a problem with white supremacy. I mean, I'm very close to my vegan friends here locally. So it wasn't, you know, that I had problems with my local activism groups, but some people really do. I'm used to being the only Black girl in a lot of spaces here in Ohio. But online, I just noticed there was a lot of bullying people of color a lot harder for not being vegan than they were bullying white people for the same reasons. There was just a lot of, you know, telling, policing black people, tone policing them, just a lot of like white superiority and harassment going on in the online spaces and, you know, things that were anti-indigenous, things that were ableist, things that were fat phobic. And these things did not sit very well with me at all. Going vegan to me was an expansion of my compassion for all living beings. So I've always been a compassionate person, someone who took into consideration the barriers that other people have, the oppression that they experience. 
And I thought that the vegan spaces were supposed to be an extension of that same compassion that I had. And I wasn't experiencing that. I would post vegan food on my Instagram account. And when my friends would make jokes, which, you know, they're my friends. I didn't have like too big of an issue with it. Sometimes it was a little bit disappointing, but you'd see the angry vegan, like replying on Facebook to my friend's comments, just like tearing them apart. And I just thought that that was very unusual. And I think that that comes from a white privileged space just to have the intention to do that. It also comes from a misanthropic space. And I really wanted to distance myself from those attitudes. So what I used my platform for eventually over time was to speak up for all forms of oppression. At first, I called myself an intersectional vegan, as many of us do. And then I learned about the law framework of Kimberly Crenshaw, who coined that term. And it was initially meant to represent Black women in a legal framework when they weren't represented because they experienced both racism and sexism at the same time. And it was to make Black women visible in a law uh, framework and to tie the ideas that two forms of, of oppression are interlinked and interrelated. And Kimberly Crenshaw herself has said she does not mind the fact that people have expanded her terminology and are using it to connect multiple forms of oppression within other movements. But I found intersectionality to become a buzzword for people who aren't doing the work and who aren't speaking up about all forms of oppression or even dismissing, not dismissing, but dismantling oppression within their own movements. So I veered away from using that term intersectional vegan. And I just call myself now, you know, a social justice activist, but, you know, to narrow it down, sometimes I'll say, you know, I believe in total liberation or collective liberation, or I believe in, you know, anti-oppression. And that's the embodiment of what my account tries to promote. Anytime I see a prominent social justice issue, I use my account to speak up for that because I believe that if vegans are to say that eating a plant-based diet is a basic inaction, then we have the time to use our voices to speak up anytime we see oppression. We shouldn't be silent and say, that's someone else's job, that's someone else's movement. I believe that human beings are also part of the animal kingdom. So, you know, I don't use that to say that I'm comparing humans to animals. I'm just speaking scientifically. We are part of the animal kingdom, so we should be kind to one another and we should carry each other's burdens, no matter who that is, whether if it's an animal of a different species or part of the human species, we should always speak up against all forms of oppression that come to our attention. And that's not to say that, you know, Mondays I wear, you know, pro LGBTQ flag and Tuesdays I wear, you know, an anti-ableist flag. And like, I have like this type of activism, you know, agenda for every single day of the week. No, I really think that when you see ableism or racism or anti-Semitism within your own movement, it's an, it's an opportunity to educate and it's an opportunity to call it out. And that to me is what total liberation is all about. Oh my gosh. I love this so much. Oh my gosh. Yes. So, so true. (laughs) 
It's Monique hopping in to thank Organifi for sponsoring this episode of the show. So Organifi is a full line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition with high-quality ingredients. They truly do take pride and care in offering the best-tasting superfood products on the market without compromising quality. One of the products that I really enjoy, I've told you guys about them before, is Organifi Gold. It's a part of my routine at this point. After I finish recording this, I'm going to get ready for my nighttime routine. It's almost 10 o'clock. And I love to sip on Organifi Gold with my almond milk, have it hot. It's just a great way for me to relax at night. It includes nine superfoods that are designed for rest and relaxation. It's just a natural way for me to prepare for bed and to get a good night's sleep, which is super important to me. But of course, that's not all, though, because Organifi, like I mentioned, has a full line of everything that you need for your lifestyle. If you're someone who is looking to improve your gut health, you should consider Organifi Pure or even Organifi Green is a great way to energize your mornings when you wake up. All of the products are so convenient, too. You don't have to worry about chopping anything. You don't have to worry about blending anything. It's all ready for you right there. So as a listener of the podcast, all you have to do is go to Organifi.com slash Brown Vegan and use the discount code Brown Vegan to save 15% off of any product on the website. Once again, that's Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash Brown Vegan. Shout out again to Organifi for sponsoring this episode of the show. You know what? I kind of want to ask you this though, because I think that it's so important for, you know, to to educate as many people as we can about the vegan lifestyle, about embracing this, because like you said, there's so many other benefits to it outside of just food. It's just so much more than that, you know? So do you think that as a society, just as a country, that everyone is in a position to be vegan? Do you think that's even possible for everyone? I don't think so. And I think that that was one of my frustration points when I was transitioning to vegan. And on Facebook, especially because I, I didn't know any other vegan people in my local community, like within the first couple of weeks that I was vegan. And so I'd ask them in that, in the groups on Facebook, you know, can everybody be vegan or, or what, or what do you think about people who live in like very remote areas who don't have access to certain food sources or who have to hunt as a way of survival? And I just heard the most nonsensical responses like, well, they should just move to cities. And I, I feel yeah, like it must be nice to just be that simple, huh? <laughs> no, it's, it's so ridiculous. Like it's ridiculous for, for multiple reasons. Like people who live in very remote areas are typically people who are not of, 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 not of means. <laughs> like they, they don't have like investment accounts. Like, oh, I'm just going to buy a house in the city now. And then additionally, it's like when they do move to the city, I hope people realize that we consume more energy and more resources and pollute a lot more in cities than people who live in rural areas do. So if the whole point of veganism is reducing our impact, you've just by, by encouraging that, you know, ask people to increase their impact. So that's kind of undoing the whole purpose of veganism. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I and I also find that, you know, that logic is an offshoot of white veganism. It's this idea that everyone is privileged and, and, and entitled to certain experiences. And that's not true in society. Like unfortunately, society is by and large operated by white supremacy. 
And that's regardless of what country you live in. I often find people who say, well, people, you know, Black people can be racist, especially like Black people in Africa, because if you're living in Africa, you're part of the minority. I'm, I'm sorry, part of the majority. And then if you're a white person in Africa, then you're part of the minority. So that's by dictionary definition, you know, the Black people are the oppressors. And this isn't true. Like the world in and of itself has created this artificial, you know, false hierarchy of who deserves to be considered a human. And this was done by Europeans in the very early days. I can't say which century exactly, but they invented the whole concept of race and, you know, put human beings in these hierarchies. So even if you're the majority in a continent like Africa, we're still in a world where, you know, white skin and white ideas are the most valued. So I think we have to take that, you know, really into consideration when we call other people, especially people of color, speciesist, because, you know, there is a, I mean, I've seen this even recently, you know, white people use speciesist as a slur to put people down. They use it to put down especially brown people and black people and indigenous people. When, you know, scientific researchers have said indigenous people maintain 80% of the wilded land in this, in the, in the entire world. So as vegans, if we want, you know, animals to remain in nature and we want, you know, to have a flourishing planet with breathable air that we could all survive, we should allow indigenous people living within their means to continue their cultural practices because you know, me in the city driving my car, you know, living in, you know, a human constructed home, I'm producing a lot of emissions. I'm not, I'm people who are living, you know, in the Amazon or the interior parts of, you know, places in Africa or India, they're not the ones that are responsible for the majority of global climate change and deforestation that's getting rid of the majority of, you know, the wildlife. So I think that, you know, as activists, we need to be calling out people who are promoting white veganism because it's very destructive to our movement and it turns people away. It almost turned me away because I was getting these ridiculous answers, like I said, on social media about things that are very real. And I, and I wanted to be vegan. I wasn't one of those people who was asking to be dismissive or saying, well, well, if Inuit people can eat seal, then I can eat seal too. <laughs> like, it's not like that at all. Yeah, exactly. I understand what you're saying. And that's why I think that I just feel like conversations like this are so important because if people aren't even going to try to see if this works for them because they see, I feel like the majority of the messages out there, especially when it comes to like Facebook, are from that perspective. It's like really abrasive. It's really dismissive and it doesn't take everything into account. And that's why I wanted to know whether or not how you felt about that as far as could everybody be vegan? I think that some of us can probably eat more vegetables overall and more fruit overall and just do better overall. But I don't know as from a, like a world perspective, if everybody can be vegan. I don't, I don't think it's fair to just kind of throw that out there, in my opinion. So I, I totally I agree. Yeah. And I will just also add to that. It's not only an accessibility issue, it's not only a food justice issue and why why certain groups of people are excluded from the food system. I mean, there's also people who have very significant health issues where if you add up enough allergies to where 
you have very limited food choices, you know, there's a lot of plant-based foods out there that would just not be filling enough for you. So, you know, there's people who are allergic to legumes. There's people who are allergic to soy. And if you just keep adding to that, like those are like some of the most filling foods. I mean, I don't think there's anyone who says they want to eat like 10 pounds of broccoli a day to come up with enough nutrients to fulfill their bodies. So I think we need to be very mindful of the fact that there are true medical conditions that exist. Unfortunately, there is, you know, people who practice white veganism that are just like, well, they're just not trying hard enough or they should just eat potatoes and that's it because, you know, then they're not harming animals. I think that we need to be respectful of people's barriers and people's limitations because if we truly want a vegan world we want people to go as vegan as possible not everyone's going to be able to be 100 percent. absolutely let me ask you this though because i feel like a lot of the things that impacted you the most as far as transitioning to being more of course an ethical vegan was looking at some of the graphic videos kind of more in your face. But it's funny because I feel like your approach is so like loving and your tone is so inviting that I would never think that you came from that <laughs> that part of, you know, getting to this point from looking at some of those videos and some of those images. So do you think that's effective? I know it worked for you, but do you think overall that people, most people will be moved by that? I think that's very interesting. It for me it, it it immediately triggered my compassion, but overall I don't think it's the most effective strategy and there's a resource that you can look that up called Faunalytics. I think it's faunalytics.com where it's a research engine and platform where they put together statistics and studies of things that move people towards being vegan and they they said that graphic footage wasn't one of the most effective methods and that more people are reactive actually to vegan content, quote unquote, vegan content, meaning like vegan lifestyle, vegan food, you know, having conversations with people. And I found that to be true in my personal experience because I've seen the difference between living by example and the difference between showing people graphic footage because I was part of a, you know, animal rights group that did, you know, displays where we would, you know, line up with, you know, TV monitors showing people the graphic footage and people turn away from atrocity. That's a natural human reaction. And we don't want people to turn away from what's happening to animals in the animal agriculture industry. We want people to look towards the solutions for this and also to see the suffering of other animals. But there's, there's ways to do it, I believe. I believe consent is really important. If graphic footage has to be shared, it has to be like, you know, described specifically what someone's going to see and they have to give permission to want to see it. And I think that that's something that's really missing in vegan activist spaces because what I call sharing traumatic things that happen to other animals without a warning is just trauma porn. And that's why people are so damaged in this space. That's why people are so jaded. And that's why they're so misanthropic because. We're constantly traumatizing each other by sharing graphic footage. And I found to me being compassionate and just sharing my lifestyle with other people has been the most effective. And I know that there is, you know, an opportunity, you know, different strokes for different folks, but I believe that we can minimize graphic footage, you know, to maybe 5% of what we expose people to. The other 95% could be information and lifestyle. I love that and totally agree. 
Tell us some practical tips that you want to give people on how to start their vegan journey. Like, what do you think that they should do to just get started, even if they can't do everything right now, but they want to go ahead and make some some baby steps or just whatever you want to share to help people get going? I would say the first thing is to very clearly set your intention. Your intention is what you're going to refer back to on the really hard days, on the days when you're like, why did I want to make this shift? This is really hard. You know, people are being really hard on me today. And you have to have a why that really resonates with you. And it doesn't, and this is something in the vegan movement that I see a lot. People say it has to be for the animals and for the animals only. It just has to be something that gets you going. That anytime you think of, you know, this particular thing, you'll want to keep going. Like initially I I said, I went plant-based for my health and my health is very particularly tied to you know, the incident with my dad, you know, being in treatment for cancer. So, you know, that was something that I could hone in on the really hard days and just think about, you know, I have to do this for, you know, my longevity and, you know, for my future. If I decide to have a family, I want to be healthy for them. But yes, veganism by and large is for the animals. We can never take that away from them, but you have to really personalize your reason for doing this. Otherwise, you're going to quit. So my, that would be my number one thing is to really hone in on a very strong reason to do it. It could also be environmental reasons and it could, like I said, be the health reasons and most definitely the, the issues with what's going on in the animal agriculture industry. But maybe write those things down and have a list of things that keep you going. And then the second one and what really helped me was to challenge myself. I, I started like I can eat plant-based for one meal. And the next meal I made was a plant-based meal that I'd made before, but I never considered it as vegan because I wasn't a vegan back then. So I made that meal and I'm like, okay, if I could eat this one meal, I could probably do this for a whole week. I can come up with recipes for a whole week. So I made it a week. And then I just stopped noticing that I made it for a whole month. And when I realized I'd made it for a whole month, I'm like, if I can make it for a whole month and not, you know, miss, you know, meat or dairy, I can continue this as a lifelong lifestyle. So step two would just be to challenge yourself and, you know, give yourself some goals or some metrics to reach. And then the third thing is support system. I could not have done this without people to talk to who could relate to my experiences and to my hardships when my family didn't understand initially or my friends didn't understand initially because they weren't vegan. So try to find a vegan support group and you can find them on social media. And I, I know it's kind of difficult because, you know, I've had bad experiences in Facebook groups, but I promise you there are communities of, you know, very compassionate vegans out there that you can connect with. And now that we're in a pandemic, it's really hard to meet people in person, but, you know, lean into online groups as much as you possibly can. And hopefully when it's safe again to go out and like mingle and mix with new people, then you know, make in real life relationships as well. So I think it just comes down to those three things, like have a really strong, clear intention, set some mini goals, and then three, have a support community. Yep. Let us know how we can follow you on social media. What do you want us to do to come support your work? Yeah. So thank you so much for, you know, this conversation and giving me the opportunity to share my thoughts with you. So you can follow me on Instagram 
at EA Loves Life. That's I-Y-E-L-O-V-E-S-L-I-F-E. And the same handle on Twitter. And I am also co-founder of an organization called VAL. And it stands for what it stands for is Vegans Against All Oppression. So it's we are VAAO.org. And don't forget the www dot because it's super important. It won't direct you to our page without it. But it takes like one minute to sign up. What it is, it's a social media platform or media platform where you can upload your own articles, videos, connect with other like-minded vegans who are very passionate about all social justice issues, not just veganism. You can plan activism events through it. And it's just a, you know, multidimensional platform that we plan to use for many things in the future. You could also come to our clubhouse meetings every Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern time. And unfortunately, it's only available to iPhone users right now, but hopefully the app will be rolling out to every Android user shortly. But those are the main places that you can find me. Yes, this was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise and your your experiences with us. We really appreciate it. And I look forward to connecting with you more. Oh, same here, Monique. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. All of the show notes will be at brownvegan.com. So check those out. Also, let me know what you thought of this episode. Come hang out with me on Instagram. My handle over there is at brownvegan. Have a great day and I will talk to you next week. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.